PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Patients cannot rate their physical functioning apart from pain. We're learning different information from each type of measure. I think that the key question again is what do you want to know? It's important to be standardized because pain fluctuates so much. Welcome to this PTJ podcast discussion entitled Assessing Outcomes of Physical Therapy Intervention Following Hip or Knee Replacement. Should PTs rely on performance-based measures, self-report measures, or both? This discussion follows up on a recent research report published in PTJ. The lead author of that article, Dr. Inga Vanden Akerskeek, joins Deborah Kennedy to discuss this topic. Dr. Vanden Akerskeek is a human movement scientist and epidemiologist from University Medical Center in Groningen, the Netherlands. Deborah Kennedy is a physical therapist at the Holland Orthopedic and Arthritic Center at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Now, here is our moderator for this month's discussion, Dr. Daniel Riddle. Welcome to this Physical Therapy Journal podcast. My name is Dan Riddle, and I am the Deputy Editor of Physical Therapy and will be leading this discussion today. In a recent paper published in the American Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery, Kurtz and colleagues estimated that approximately 1 million hip and knee replacement surgeries will be conducted in the U.S. in 2010. Physical therapists, of course, play a key role during the rehabilitation of these patients, and we will be discussing the assessment of outcome following these very common and very costly procedures. To begin, I want to introduce our participants. Our first expert is from the Netherlands, and the other is from Canada. Both are well-published on this topic, and we are very excited to be able to discuss this topic with them today. First, we have with us Dr. Ingen van den Akersheek. Yes, hello. I'm very delighted to be part in this discussion. And our second discussant today is Debbie Kennedy. Debbie? Thank you, Dan and Inga. I'm really looking forward to the discussion today. I've been working with the hip and knee replacement population for over 20 years, and I've been especially interested in how to best measure their outcome after the surgery. So I'm really looking forward to the discussion. For our discussion today, we are going to highlight the paper by Inga and her colleagues. This paper is published in the June issue of Physical Therapy and is entitled Physical Functioning Before and After Total Hip Arthroplasty, Perception and Performance. Very briefly, this paper found the following. First, self-report measures of function and pain for these types of patients are only weakly related to performance measures. In this case, the authors used two different gait measures. And secondly, pain appeared to have considerable influence on self-reported physical function. We are specifically today going to focus on the impact on clinical practice. Inga, we will start with a response from you, and then Debbie will follow up. And please feel free to discuss further if you so desire. What I'm going to ask first deals really with why we see differences in self-report versus performance measures in patients with hip arthroplasty, but these findings have also been found in knee arthroplasty as well. So please discuss why you think there are differences between self-report and the performance measures in these patient populations. Well, what we found in our study is that the influence of pain on self-report measures is really substantial. 
Patients cannot rate their physical functioning apart from pain. That's what we found in our study, and I think Debbie found it as well in her studies. When people think about how they're functioning during walking or during uh, walking the stairs, they cannot separate function from the amount of pain they experience while doing that activity. So when patients after their atroplasty, when the pain in their hips or knees is less, they rate their function on these self-report measures as really high, while in fact you can see on the performance-based measures that the function is still equal to the preoperative measures. So I think pain has a key role in this relationship. Heavy? I think some of the differences we're seeing are that there's different determinants in terms of what we're seeing with self-report measures and performance measures. I think that in self-report measures, and we've particularly seen it when the WOMAC measure has been used, that it's heavily influenced by pain across the different time points. Other researchers have shown that self-efficacy is a strong determinant. So I think that we're, in some respects, tapping into different elements when we're using a self-report and performance measure, and that one needs to be really aware of that when you're choosing an outcome measure. This is a rather complex phenomenon that we're trying to capture with our measures. The next most logical question here would be, should therapists routinely measure performance and or self-report measures of patient function in this population? And Debbie, why don't you start? Well, I think too that you have to think of two things here. First of all, most people are having a hip or knee replacement because they're trying to reduce their pain and improve their function. So I think when a therapist is thinking about what measures they want to choose, they want to start off with recognizing those are sort of the two core outcomes that need to be assessed. I think that we're finding from our research that to be comprehensive, a therapist should use both a self-report and a performance measure. We're learning different information from each type of measure. And I realize though that often Busy clinicians have barriers in terms of time and other clinical factors. Yes, I agree. If you want to have a complete picture of how the patient is doing after such an operation, you should use performance-based as well as self-report measures. You indicated the lack of time. If you really want to choose, uh, then you have to realize that you measure different aspects of recovery. With a performance-based measure, you measure the actual performance of a patient on a certain activity. Well, uh, when you ask a patient about his or her performance, then it's more about how patients perceive their performance on that point of time. For example, when a patient don't have to walk stairs in daily life and goes bad on the stair walk test, and then the perception of the patient about his performance can be high when he don't have to use that activity you measure with a performance-based measure during his daily life. I was just going to add into that I think what's another important factor for therapists to consider is that they have a guiding framework when they're really deciding do they want to use a self-report or a performance measure or if they can to be comprehensive use both. If a therapist really wants to know how a person's doing in terms of activity, they're better to use a performance measure to get an actual snapshot, particularly if you're interested, for instance, if someone can walk safely in the community, you're going to want to use something where you can get an actual representation rather than a self-report measure, which is being influenced, as we've said, by pain and potentially other patient perception factors that might enter into it. Debbie, perhaps it would be helpful if you talked about a guiding framework here. Can you give a practical example about a patient in whom you would use just performance measures 
and then a patient in whom you would use just self-report measures? Well, I, I have to be honest to that question that for myself, I usually use a combination. But I know clinicians who are in really busy outpatient settings where if they have a patient, for instance, who's wondering about if they're going to be safe in the community, for instance, that they will do a walking test. So they might be using, for instance, a six-minute walk test or even just a walking speed test so that they can actually guide the patient. And so thinking about the ICF, which is the International Classification of Functioning, therapists get very caught into thinking about the body function and structure level and they're thinking about just range of motion and strength. But often we know from various studies that activity and impairment measures don't often have a high correlation. So they would be better to use an actual physical performance measure when they really wanted to know if the patient was safe. Alternatively, if someone is reporting to their physiotherapist that they're functioning really well, but they're having a lot of pain issues, that might be a situation where I choose a self-report measure. So those are maybe two examples that might highlight where you might use one or the other. But generally, for a comprehensive assessment, I think, especially in an initial assessment, I think you want to be using both, and particularly at follow-up or discharge as well. And in addition to that, you really have to determine beforehand what you what you want to know. Do you want to know how fast the patient can walk, or do you want to know whether a patient is happy about his functioning and and uh, function well in his daily life? You have to realize that performance-based measures and self-report measures are measuring two different constructs, two different parts of outcome. Choosing one of them may have implications about the conclusions you can draw based on your results. You have to still think before, what do I want to know? I think that's really true, Inga, and I think that another important point for clinicians is to really remember when they're choosing their tools, do they have sound measurement properties? Have they been validated for the purpose that you want to use it? Is there information in the literature that will help guide when you've done that measure to help you interpret how the patient's doing in terms of whether it's normative data for benchmarks or if you're looking at a tool that has information how to interpret change and there's some change scores that you can apply to help you make that decision. So I think it's really important to remember as well that you want to start off at least and make sure that it's a tool that's been validated for that purpose. I think this is a perfect time to discuss the extensive number of outcome measures that clinicians have available to them and the extreme difficulty that all clinicians face in deciding what to use and when to use it. There appears to be a pretty strong argument from the evidence that both performance and self-report measures bring utility to the table and are useful for clinicians to consider using, but there is this time element and difficulty in deciding what to use because of the little amount of time clinicians have to obtain these measures. So I would like for each of you to discuss what you think are the optimal measures for routine clinical use, both in the self-report category and in the performance-based category. As for the self-report measures, there are a lot of different questionnaires you can use when measuring outcome after total hip or knee atrocity. We choose the WOMAC because it has different aspects. It has three subcategories. It's pain and stiffness and function. And especially the latter was important for us to be able to compare that with our performance-based measure. That's why we choose the WOMAC in our research. There's a lot done in terms of the WOMAC and has quite a body of research. But I think for the busy clinician that the WOMAC, and have heard this from many clinicians, doesn't really have the utility for them in their setting because of the fact that the scores don't have the same amount of meaning to them that they may have 
in some of the research trials. However, I'm not saying that the Womack doesn't have its place. I absolutely use it as well. But I think that for a busy clinician, a questionnaire that I like is the lower extremity function scale. And it's a 20-item questionnaire that can be done very quickly in the clinical setting. And certainly, we have examined its properties against the Womack in the arthroplasty population, and it's performed just as well. And I think that what's easier for a busy clinician to use in terms of the lower extremity functional scale is that there's more published on how to interpret the score. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers for why clinicians don't use some of the self-report measures that are out there is because if it doesn't help them make a decision in the end with their patient, then it's not very useful to them. So... I find that that's one tool that's helpful, but I think that as long as the clinician knows that they've been validated for that purpose and that they have information that helps to interpret it, then they can justify which tool they choose. Yes, in addition to that, we also choose the Womack because there is a validated and reliable version of the Womack in Dutch. Mm -hmm. It was validated by another research group, so there was also a reason Mm -hmm. why we choose this questionnaire. There's also some questionnaires that more research is being done on right now is the who's in the coos and the who's is for the hip population and the coos for the knee population. It's the knee and osteoarthritis outcome score. There's more questions in the who's in the coos that basically builds on the Womack tool and adds in other sections in terms of quality of life and sports and work. So I would encourage clinicians to be aware there's a lot of research emerging now that hopefully will guide us to have a tool that's both useful from a research perspective but also in a clinical setting. Yes, and the good news is for us is that it's a Dutch group who is performing research on these two questionnaires you mentioned. Hopefully there is a valid and reliable questionnaire in Dutch also available soon. So, right. Because that is in our setting that is a problem because most of the research in hip and knee atropathy is done in the U.S. or in English-speaking countries. So... When performing research in a non-English-speaking country, that is always a problem because you have to start your research with validating the questionnaires you want to use. That adds a lot of time to your research. I'm hoping now that each of you would be willing to address performance measures, which ones you recommend and why and for what types of patients. So, Debbie, would you like to start? Sure. In terms of performance measures, you need to make sure that you know its properties again and how it behaves. And to make a point around that, we've found, for instance, that if you're interested in using a timed up and go for a patient, for instance, when they've just had surgery, then that's a measure that will have some use because often patients do struggle with getting in and out of a chair. But what we found is that by around the 10-week mark to 3-month mark, patients have already hit the standard that patients who don't have any problems can perform the test in. And so, therefore, you need to be aware of the fact that what point in time you're using the performance measure in guiding your decision of which one you want to choose. Personally, I like to use a walking test. I like using a stair measure, and I sometimes use a timed up and go if I'm looking at a patient who is in the hospital, just been discharged, and I'm only going to be seeing in a time-limited way, but I certainly wouldn't choose it if I were wanting to measure change further out, out to a year. For instance, we've been publishing information on the six-minute walk test and how you can guide your decision-making out to a year because we find with performance measures that a lot of the change really happens in the first three months, and then they continue to show improvement between three and six months, but that there's some leveling off out to a year. The measures you mentioned, the timed up-and-go test, for example, that measures how fast somebody can sit down and rise again from a chair, 
The one I used was more about quality of movement. I used an accelerometer-based measurement system, and with that we can assess the quality of walking. With the performance-based measures, there are several aspects you can measure, and uh, measures are available, but the difficulty always is which one to choose. And I think that's the key question again is what do you want to know? The beauty of all the research that is emerging in the last few years is uh, eventually we can make an overview article about the baseline points and then the reference points at certain time points after the surgery. So you can look what is the reference and is this patient below or uh, higher than this reference value. Right now, the research is kind of limited. I'd like to continue with this discussion by focusing both of you on the measurement of pain. From a routine clinical practice standpoint, do either of you or both of you recommend the use of the multi-item pain measure, such as the pain component of the WOMAC questionnaire, or the use of a visual analog scale to capture pain in a more traditional sense? What do you recommend for clinicians assessing pain in patients with hip and knee arthroplasty? Sure, I'll begin, Dan. I think that those are very important questions for the clinician because I think in terms of the Walmart pain subscale, certainly that's an option. In terms of using the visual analog scale, I think it's actually easier to use a numeric rating scale. We've seen in the literature that they're fairly comparable, and the benefit of using a numeric rating scale is that a clinician doesn't have to measure to see how it's changing in terms of the pain report. They have an actual number. And I think something to be aware of in terms of using a, a numeric rating scale is that it's important to be standardized because pain fluctuates so much and you need to make sure you're doing it in the same way each time and perhaps you anchor it so that there's some standardization and consistency because of the fluctuating nature of pain. I actually think that this is an area in terms of hip and knee population where more development needs to happen. I don't think we've arrived at the best pain measure yet. Yeah, the little point you indicate about measuring pain during different activities, I think that's uh, really important in this population because patients may experience pain during certain activities they really like and while sitting down they don't experience any pain. So when measuring pain, I would recommend to ask about pain during different activities in daily life. I noticed that patients don't fill in certain questions and write down comments when answering these questions on paper about, well, that's, that not applies to me or uh, I don't do this activity. So I think that that is part of the problem with the self-report questionnaires, that you don't know why patients don't feel in when they don't have pain. Is it because they do not do that activity or because they adapt certain strategies to avoid them? I think at this point we can begin to wrap up, and I would like for each of you now to, if you can, summarize what you think are the key take-home messages for clinicians who are seeing patients with hip and knee arthroplasty and what the clinical implications are of self-report measures versus performance measures and what clinicians should be doing at this point. I think that there's a lot of outcome measures out there and the difficulty, uh, it's beautiful that there are a lot of options, but the difficulty at the same time is that you have to choose which measure you want to use in your research or in your clinical practice. And the key point, I think, is you have to determine beforehand 
What you really want to know, is it the actual performance of a patient or the perception of the patient about his performance? Do I want to use a self-report or a performance-based measures and ideally use both to get an overall picture about the outcome of the patient, of the outcome of the atroplasty? Thank you, Inga. I agree with all your points. The only other point I would add as a key principle is to consider the actual patient's characteristics when choosing a measure. So if a patient's high functioning, you might want to pick an outcome measure that's going to challenge them more. For example, you might not choose the time up and go. You might pick a six-minute walk test. And as well, it's important to remember that time of when you're seeing that patient guides your decision as well. So for a patient who's earlier on in the process, you might have a different outcome measure than someone you're tracking or seeing at six months out to a year. Well, thank you very much to both of you. I think this discussion has really highlighted the decision-making involved in deciding what outcome measures to use for patients with hip and knee arthroplasty. There are some guiding principles in making those decisions, and certainly pain is an important outcome measure to assess, and self-report and performance-based measures both have their place in the assessment of outcome for patients following hip and knee arthroplasty, and I want to thank you both for participating. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. Your feedback is highly valued. Do you have any comments, topics you'd like to hear in the future? Let us know via email, ptj at scienceaudio.net, or voicemail, 626-593-7825. Visit PTJ online at www.ptjournal.org.